0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Cricket with an Accent. This is Sakeb joined by Sanket. It's been a while since we spoke at this forum in uh, uh, India versus Pakistan. There was another ODI fixture that ended uh, in a one sided win for India. And as I bring Sanket in, so let's talk about the Indian ODI landscape with World Cup almost uh, less than a year away now. So there are a few important questions I'm going to ask Sanket to break down, but let's start with this rivalry. So, Sanket, this was another one sided affair. And this is an Indian team which is without Virat Kohli. So, how big is the gap between these two teams right now?
1: Sorry, can you come again?
0: I'm saying how big is the gap between India and Pakistan? Because India is playing without their best player and captain, Virat Kohli, and still managed to beat Pakistan in two very clinical outings.
1: Well, yeah, obviously. I think, uh, well, I think there was some concerns about how the Indian batting lineup would fare in the absence of Virat Kohli because, I mean, uh, th- there are question marks over that middle order, which we'll obviously get to later on while discussing the Indian ODI landscape that we talked about. But there were some concerns that the Indian batting lineup is a little top heavy and they were, uh, and with one of the big three, uh, missing in action, that they might be a little bit more vulnerable, uh, especially against Pakistan who have been, uh, who are, who are an ODI side who have been on an upward scale over the last 18 months or so, uh, uh, ever since Satraz Ahmed took over the reins of the side. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, uh, looking at it, uh, the way the matches have panned out, I mean, I I did I still thought India were the favourites, but I, I, I didn't expect it to be quite as one-sided as this. So yeah, Pakistan once again being a little bit disappointing, I think there seems to be that... You know, I think they are, they are obviously an inferior side to India uh, in ODI cricket, and they have been for a while now. I think for the better part of this decade, for the uh, better part of the, ever since I've been following cricket, I know it, it it was a completely different rivalry when you were growing up. But I mean, ever since the Naughties and ever since the likes of Tendulkar, Sehwag, Ganguly, Dravid, Yuvraj gave that batting lineup of India that um, when the batting lineup came together in the in the early noughties, India generally had the better of Pakistan in ODI cricket, and I think that domination is probably just you know uh, this, the the gap between the two sides is probably even widened this decade uh, because Pakistan have lost a few experienced players and all. And so yeah, I think India obviously clearly have the wood over Pakistan this rivalry.
0: Yeah, yeah, we will definitely get to you know the, the nostalgia part of it when uh, you know my generation growing up, you know, we I, I'll bring that angle maybe a little later in the show, but. Uh, Uh, Like we had Anderson versus Kohli in England, uh, the big matchup here in this Asia Cup was Sharma versus Amir. So, just uh, walk me through or someone who didn't watch this match. Did Rohit Sharma, what is the adjustment did he make against Mohamed Amir? Did he dominate him or just play him out? Because, you know, he did score, you know, uh, two good knocks against Pakistan.
1: Well, yeah, I think the major issue for Mohamed Amir and this has been a concern for him ever since the Champions Trophy. Uh, He's just picked three wickets in 10 ODIs since that Champions Trophy final where he about the, the Indian top order, uh, and he's averaging something like hundred or hundred and one since that since that tournament. And the major problem for him, and I think that was even pointed out by and the the crick the crick professor uh, Twitter Twitter account that he's not getting any swing with the new ball that he used to when he when he was taking all those wickets. he's not being able to generate swing with the white new ball. I mean, this not not being able to generate swing with the white new ball is not necessarily. A new phenomenon. I think that, that that that's just the way the game is heading these days. The white balls don't really swing, but I think for someone like Mohammad Amir, who's who's I mean probably who's, who's reasonably quick enough, but he doesn't quite have the ex- express pace of someone like a, maybe a Mitchell Stark or a, or even someone like a, who have or or the awkward angle or the awkward of someone like a boomer, I think he needs he needs the ball to move around a little bit to be really effective. I think it helps him that he is a left armer. I think the left arm angle always helps. And and for the, and for that reason, he has probably been was um, um, probably managed to be economical, but yeah, wicket wickets have definitely dried up for uh, Mohammad Amir. I think it's probably also a case of teams perhaps playing bit, him with a little bit more respect and probably not trying to uh, take him on. But uh, I mean, yeah, and that we saw that even in the first story, Rohit Sharma played very cautiously against Mohammad Amir, uh, and and just and tore into the rest. But today it was a different story altogether. Uh, they probably figured out that Mohammad Amir is not quite the bowler that they faced in the Champions Trophy last year. Uh, after after facing him uh, on Tuesday, and, and this time around they were not really, not at all reluctant to take their uh, chances against him. And, and and yeah, he was put to the sword pretty much. So yeah, I mean both Shikhar Dhawan and Rohit Sharma uh, really stamping their authority on the contest. Uh,
0: let's uh, look into some of the Indian team. You know, and uh, I know with the World Cup is going to be in England next year, so it's uh, less than a year uh, away. So uh, you know, I know on Twitter you've made some uh, uh, some suggestions that uh, Shikhar Dhawan should get his due, and he's probably one of the better openers. And uh, in your case, uh, you think it's not a totally uh, it's, it's not a totally outrageous comparison if someone even makes a statistical argument that he's better than Virat and So just uh, walk walk us through that one. Why you come to that conclusion? It's still an open argument in your mind. But you think Dhawan just because he performs so well in some of the ODI tournaments like World Cup and Champions Trophy you are willing to give him that uh, you know that honor of like uh, being the better opener than Sehwag in odis
1: i think i think it's obviously a combination of both when i'm judging a player you obviously look at consistency i think that's that for me is still the most important uh, part of any great player but along with consistency you obviously look look for those big moments those big matches where the the you know, the big players really seize the occasion and stand up to be counted and shikhar Dhawan scores very highly on both counts he's very consistent uh, he's not just an ICC tournament specialist that he sometimes, sometimes perceived to be because his, his record, even in bilateral, bilateral series, is very, very good. And he has become even more consistent and even more mature over the last couple of years compared to perhaps when he started off, uh, say, five years ago. Uh, and, yeah, he's been performing really well, and he's, he's got a great record in all conditions. Although when I say all conditions, the conditions obviously are more homogenized than they were back in the back when the likes of Sehwag or Ganguly or Tindulka played. But, but I mean, you can only play in the conditions that you're given. And Shikhar Dhawan has pretty much aced every test that has been thrown his way. He scored runs everywhere. He scored runs in big tournaments. He scored runs in the Asia Cup. He scored runs against Pakistan. He scored runs against Australia, South Africa. So, yeah, he, he scored well against spinners as well as fast bowlers. So, yeah, I mean, Shikhar Dhawan is a test match batsman. I think that's a different story altogether. Uh, I mean, I, I, we have spoken on this platform uh, about his issues against the moving ball and his, his struggles outside the subcontinent. But as far as Shikhar Dhawan is ODI, a ODI batsman is concerned, I don't think he has, he has a lot to prove. He has, he's ticked pretty much every box and there is absolutely no reason why he cannot be considered amongst the uh, very, very elite ODI openers of all time. Not just India, but I think even worldwide that he's, he's probably in, in the top 15.
0: Oh, that's, that's a very you know, nice claim because you know. Unfortunately, or you know, sometimes that's how uh, these things uh, get discussed and then elaborated. And you know, I, I'm also one of them because we do mix uh, the red ball and the white ball cricket, and we have you know given Shikhar Dhawan the short end of the stick many times, even on this podcast. But I think uh, those are some nice statistics that you uh, you know provided in, on his you know glorious run in the in the white ball cricket, especially the ODI format. So if uh, I know you're not much of an Indian fan, but uh, what is the ideal lineup right now? India have enough time to uh, mix and match for the number four position. Or you think Raidu is the guy to go with? Or you think we should inject KL Rahul in there? Uh, what What are your thinking at this point? Like considering the World Cup is going to be in England, uh, the top three are set. So who should figure in the Indian middle order?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think this this is this is this probably is one aspect of this Asia Cup that's that could potentially turn out to be counterproductive for India going forward. Because in the absence of Virat Kohli, you would have probably expected Indian middle order to be tested a little bit more. But Shikhar Dhawan and Rohit Sharma have been so brilliant. Uh, and obviously the Indian bowlers, they've managed to restrict the opposition to very low totals that India barely needed beyond their opening stand to contribute. The only match uh, where they needed their middle order to contribute was actually the match against the weakest side in the tournament. That was Hong Kong when they batted it first. And the Indian middle order didn't really convince in that one. They scored 281, and they ended up winning by only 26 runs against a very, you know, a very inexperienced side like Hong Kong in pretty good batting conditions. And uh, I think most, uh, I think the most startling statistic would be that in the last 10 overs, they scored something like 40, 42 runs in, in that match with se- what seven or six wickets in hand at at the start of that period. So yeah, obviously, I think the middle order even against a side like Hong Kong was definitely found wanting. So yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's going to be an issue for them in this tournament. Obviously, they're they, they already qualified for the finals. And as long as they, I think, bowl first, I think their the bowler, the bowlers should continue to be able to restrict the opposition to very manageable totals that the middle order will, probably won't really be tested. I think the real test for India comes when they have to bat first. And, and if if they, if they lose even one of the openers early and you don't have the cushion of Virat Kohli at number three this time around, so that that's when... Uh, some of these guys might have to really show their mettle. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that, that, that that's one negative aspect of this is from an Indian point of view that uh, the middle order, even in the absence of Virat Kuri, hasn't really, ha- haven't really had much of an opportunity to prove their metal. So, you you don't, you don't really, you haven't really got any definitive answers as to who is the answer. As for my opinion, I, I mean, I don't think Ambati Raidu was the right choice for, for this tournament. Uh, he had a great IPL this year. And, uh, I mean, you could say he, he earned this selection based on the, on, on the runs that he scored there. But I think the one thing that you got to, uh, keep in mind is that Ambati Rayaru batted at the top of the order in the IPL. He opened the innings. And opening the innings in T20 cricket, uh, is a completely different proposition to batting at number four in ODI cricket. I think number four in ODI cricket is probably the most dynamic and probably the toughest position because you could potentially have to come in at 24-2 and stabilize the innings. You could have to come in at 20. 100 for two and you know have to probably do a mix and match you can't just go out there and slog each and every ball but you, you can't afford to be too defensive either or you could probably come in at 250 for two and then you have to just go from ball one so I think it's a it's a very flexible role that requires you to be able to play at various gears and that's why I think you need someone someone is very flexible so I'm not too sure about Raidu is the is, is the guy for that.
0: So let me ask you. I mean, in a very uh, summarized way, who's the? What's your shortlist for the guys who could fill that void or the position? I think.
1: I think if, if, if they want a straight straight number four swap, I think KL Rahul. I still think is the best. He's, he's the best equipped because he's an opening batsman. So he, he by trade. So he he's someone that you would expect him to be able to handle a, a collapse pretty well. He has got the big shots against both seamers as well as spinners. So he he's someone who can accelerate. And he's someone who's also got the ability to hit hit from ball one, as we saw in the IPL this year. He scored some ridiculously quick half-centuries or something like a 14-ball half century in one of the matches. So he's got that ability to hit from ball one. He has got both power as well as, uh, uh, you know, uh, he's, he's got power as well as timing. And he's also got a very so- solid defensive game uh, should, should they lose a few early wickets. I think he's got that, He's he's got that game, but I think the key. Ba- I think the challenge for Gael Rahul is that because he hasn't really played a lot in that position, it's about it's even though he has the attributes to bat well at that position, it's it's more about you know getting used to that kind of role, getting uh, putting yourself in those in those situations where you're exposed to a variety of situations, and uh, and then being able to perform perform. Uh, perform in three those match-winning innings and because India have been chopping and changing and we've spoken about that even even with regards to test match cricket that India have chopped and changed too much and they've not really allowed players a settled run in the side I think that this this issue is probably even more perplexing the ODI side because they haven't really given anyone a settled run at number four KL Rahul was tried against Sri Lanka in Sri Lanka last year and was dropped after a couple of bad matches then they tried Manish Pandey who was dropped after one series Dinesh Karthik once again dropped after one series. Then they tried Shreya Iyer, Ajinkya Rahane, and, and uh, I'm probably missed out a couple of names. So they've tried various players, but no one has really got a settled run. So I think if they want the, whoever they pick, they have to give him at least a couple of series, at least seven, uh, at least eight to ten ODIs. I think that's the bare minimum minimum that you've got to give because this is not opening the innings. This is a very very demanding role, and this requires a, a lot of flexibility from the players. So I think players, you've got to give them a little bit more time to. Adapt to, the, adapt to the role. So, for me, I think KL Rahul at number four, but you've got to give him a run. I think the other alternative is that, you know, you could probably uh, have KL Rahul at number three and Virat Kohli, you know, he probably in a, he probably won't be able to score the hundreds that he scores at number three. But for the sake of the team, I, I don't think it would be the worst idea for him to switch down to number four because, I mean, if you remember, he started his career at number three, at at number four, I beg your pardon. When India had Sehwag, Tendulkar, and Gambhir at the top of the order, uh, that, that was at the 20, 2011 World Cup, uh, and and he did a pretty decent job there. He's got he's got a very good record at number four. Average is something like 57, which is only three or four runs shy of his average at av- average at number three. Strike rates are pretty similar, and that innings and his best innings in ODI cricket, which probably remains that innings that he scored against Sri Lanka at Hobart when they chased down 320 odd in 36 overs. That, that innings came from number four. So, Virat Kohli, he, he, he has the experience, he has the ability and he is also padded at that position before. So, I mean, if Virat if Kohli can probably be a little bit more, you know, selfless, I mean, I'm not saying that he's selfish, selfish but I mean, this, this is an out-of-the-box move and that's probably something that he probably wouldn't do because if it doesn't come off, then he'll obviously have to bear the brunt of the media and fans and all. But I think this could be an option that Virat Kohli can switch down to number four uh, and probably play the more difficult role and let someone like KL Rahul uh, bat at number three, which is a considerably easier position to bat, and then 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 you have got a very solid top four, and then then, then the rest to follow.
0: Okay, so fair enough. Uh, let me ask you the same question in a very different way because you just said there has been you know they haven't given anyone a run, and that's been Kohli. Uh, I think only way, even in Test and One Day, is he is not shy to mix it up. You think uh, I know like it's kind of hypothetical, and there's no way no. Point going back in time. But do you think India under Dhoni would have had their lineup settled in like nine or ten months going into a World Cup?
1: I'm not too sure because I mean, I, mean, I think I think MS Dhoni and Virat Kohli probably you know they're two different extremes. You've got Virat Kohli probably chops and changes too much, and you've got MS Dhoni who probably has too much faith, faith in certain types of players that he is probably you know he's probably been guilty of persisting with them for too long. I mean, I remember Jinkya rahane in the middle order. They tried that experiment for almost two to three years when it was obvious it was not going to work. He's a top-order batsman. He's always been a top-order batsman by trade. Uh, he doesn't really have the power game that you need from a middle-order batsman. They kept persisting with him because he was doing well in test cricket. So They, they were obviously mixing up formats as well. Uh, they kept persisting with Suresh Raina despite his obvious issues against the short short pitch delivery. So, yeah, I mean, MS Tony I think he's probably been guilty of the other, other extreme in that he's been persisting with players for too long. And because of that, you know, maybe India haven't been able to, um, you know, haven't been able to uh, get the right guys in at the right time. And Bharat Kohli obviously hasn't helped matters either ever since he, he took over the reins. But, but the fact of the matter is, at, the, at present, India still have a very hollow 4-6 to to four to six probably. Uh, I mean, you could say number seven, but I, I don't think that's a big issue because I think that's not really a very important position, especially if you've got a, if you've got the kind of bowling attack that India have got. So I think that, that that four to six slot, I think that's that's something that India probably need to work on. And and I'm and I'm not too sure. And, and since since you mentioned uh, the possibility of Ambastone being the captain, I mean, I, I'm not too sure Ambastone actually deserves a place in the side right now because uh, he has as a player, he's clearly not the same. Batsman that he was, uh, uh, but he's not. He's not just. He's not merely a shadow of his peak. But he, he, there, there is. A, there is an increasingly a feeling even among his diehard fans that he's is now becoming a, a liability. The, his strike rate against spin bowling, and, and spin bowling is what pri- you primarily face in the middle order batting at five or six. Uh, is his strike rate against spin bowling over the last three years reads something like fifty eight. Sixty nine and sixty three. I think I, I'm not too sure about the numbers, but it's it's somewhere in that range. It's probably it's it's between the fifty five to seventy range, or something like that. And that's for three consecutive years, which I think dates back to two thousand and sixteen. So he has been struggling for a while since the two thousand and fifteen World Cup, uh, and you know India India have got alternatives for, for his his position. I'm not too sure if he will retire or if he will be dropped. But I think India's if if they really want to you know, fix that middle order. Uh, they obviously need to get KL Rahul in, as I pointed out, but I think they also need to seriously reconsider the role of Thony and probably, you know, maybe get someone like rishabh Pantin who played well in the last test in England. I mean, he's, he seems to be that kind of guy who's got that ability to really go bang, bang, bang in the middle order, and he could he could, pro- he could pro- probably make the difference. Or if they really want to have Thony for his, and maybe his experience in the field and providing inputs to the captain, um, then, then they probably need to find a way to hide him in the batting order so that he doesn't really hold the momentum of the innings too much.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that that was one name I was going to throw in is Rishabh Pant after that 100, you know, in the last test against England. Uh, again, I don't follow the IPL, so there's no excuse. But I thought uh, he should have been part of this Asia Cup uh, team uh, to gain some valuable experience. So, let me t- turn the conversation now. There's an article by Sharda Ugrayan and I know you and I were meant to, uh we meant to do a podcast on the review of India-England. So, we it's, it's all done and dusted. But uh, let me ask you, if you read their article, that uh, the timing of this Asia Cup if India does win and it's going to be a big surprise if they don't win because they look like the clear... Yeah, I think they'll
1: win. I think this is pretty
0: comfortable. So, so you think, uh, again, the, you know, the mindset of a fan just changes very quickly. Again, the England series was a very uh, closely fought series for a 4-1 lineup, uh, But at the same time, you know, are we going to forget the decisions uh, the Indian think tank did, you know, especially the Kuldeep Yadav decision after we had lost the first uh, day in the test match due to rain and some of the chopping and mixing or do you think that's what modern cricket has become? Uh, what's your take on that in a, uh, in a summarized, summarized way? How you look back and this Asia Cup, if India does win, you know, people, you know, it'll be water under the bridge and move, move forward pretty much.
1: Well, I, obviously, fans are pickled, and I mean, fans generally tend to move on pretty quickly. Obviously, uh, so certain die-hard fans might, might might well still, you know, probably are uh, test match purists. Uh, they might feel a little bit differently, but yeah, the casual fan will probably most probably be just celebrating an India-Pakistan win and uh, immediately forget what happened last week. So, I think that, that's just that's just how fans go. But I mean, players can't really think as fans. I think. As players, obviously, I think... Uh, I'm not saying that test cricket is the only format that matters. I think all formats are very important. And if they do win the Asia Cup, then that, that is something that they will def- they definitely have the right to celebrate. But at the same time, if you're looking at it from a test Test cricket perspective, then I think uh, they need to acknowledge that, that there, there are some issues there. Uh, uh, they obviously played better than the, the, what, what the four four one one scoreline suggests. But yeah, I mean, I think a little bit more ownership of the mistakes the that they made and i th- i wouldn't say the same mistakes i think some of the decisions were absolutely blunders like the decision to play two spinners at lords as you rightly pointed out and then to send him back home after 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 playing him in a test match which literally gave him absolutely no chance to succeed i think that that was pretty poor man management as well of kuldeep yadav uh, alongside mulli vijay although i think that mulli vijay is probably more understandable because you know he, he's probably He's prob- he probably wouldn't be playing for India again. they probably looking at the next generation, some like the likes of Prithvi Shaw or Mayank Agarwal. But I think Kuldeep Yadav is still is still a youngster. He is going to be a very key member for the of the Indian side to come in all formats uh, in the years to come. He's already an integral part of the limited over setup. So for to send him back after playing him in a test match where he was pretty much on a hiding to nothing. In conditions that didn't suit him, and uh, and in a match where batsmen had put on absolutely no total on the board, I think that was really poor to send him back uh, um, to pretty much drop him on, drop drop him from the squad midway through the series as well, and, and and then playing Ashwin despite being despite his injury concerns, despite even though you had a very good replacement in Jadeja, who was probably more suited to the conditions, probably quicker through the air, and was better equipped to utilise the rough that was there. At, at Southampton, instead they insisted on picking an uninjured Ashwin, uh, and and we also how that transpired. So I think that there are obviously some major blunders that they've committed um, yeah, throughout the course of the Test series. Uh, I think they, you could say they were probably a little bit unlucky in the sense that they didn't really win any toss, and, and I think yeah maybe if, if 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 the toss had gone their way, maybe results could have been different. But you can't go into a test series assuming that you would win the toss. I think you have got to prepare for all eventualities. And India this time around really had the team that could take the take the um, game to England. And, and as and, this, and as the series you know t- turned out, even though it was four one, it was it was a series of missed opportunities for India. Um, and and yeah, I mean this this is one of the weaker English sides uh, at home in recent years. Uh, they've been they've been dropping tests quite regularly. Um, to mid table opposition for a while now. Uh, so, the India being the number one side in the world, you would have probably expected them to, you know, really drive that, uh, drive it home and just probably when you're up, then you probably just put the foot on the accelerator and just uh, drive home the advantage. But India just haven't been able to do that. Uh, and you can't really say this is an inexperienced side either because most of them were on the second trip to England. Most of them have been on maybe five or six trips outside the subcontinent. So, yeah, this was probably more experienced than the hosts who had the likes of Sam Caron who was probably playing a second series who who, who who performed a star role for them. So, yeah, I think India, this this was a series that of missed opportunities and regret for India. And If, if they're going to succeed going forward overseas, then I think they, they need to look at some of these decisions they've taken and you know, probably need to be a little bit more humble, like Sharada ugra said, rather than just pretending that they're the best side in the world. But they're the best side, the best Indian side of the last fifteen years. I mean, I mean, if they say that in the press, just to, just to show off a bit of bravado and all that, that, that that's different. But you would better hope that they're not actually thinking that way in the dressing group. Uh, actually, you
0: know, that's a good point you made because I think a lot of these press conferences, especially the post and this is just happening so quickly in the aftermath. You know, it usually happens an hour or so after the presentation. And I've attended some of those uh, tennis press conferences. And, you know, players, uh, we we sometimes don't realize because they have to objectively analyze a very tough loss or, you know, it happens in tennis, happens in cricket. So I'll I'll give them a free pass. But again, you know, Shastri, some of the comments they make is just, you know, it it is good theater at, at, at this point. But I'm not even blaming Ravi Shastri. Because we all knew you know what his coaching style was and
1: uh, I think that that is what that is what ravi Shastri has been brought brought in for. He, he's someone who is known as a great motivator and he's he's there to motivate the side he's, he's not a tactical person. so I think this this that's probably a part of his USP and that's that's what he's been paid to do. so I, I guess he's probably just doing his job.
0: Yeah, on that note, uh, let me switch gears. I know we said uh, we'll talk some of the India-Pakistan memories of you know uh, me because uh, as as a fan growing in the late 80s, early 90s, and you I I was part of some of those battles when I think Pakistan, after the Javed Mia that six, had a great uh, measure of you know Indian wins, especially in Sharjah, and they they also had an Imran-led team that came to India in 86, 87, and I think swept us six-one. I believe in the only match we won was in uh, in Hyderabad, where Asruddin, I think ran Abdul-Kadir out in first tie match and India got the win because of uh, losing uh, one less wicket. So, yeah, I mean, Ravi Shastri, again, I was uh, looking at this match the other day on YouTube in Sharjah. He scored, a, I think, Brave 77 against Waqar and Vaseem and Imran was still in the team in Sharjah. This is uh, the match that preceded the famous Akib Javid hat-trick match. And this is the match where Tendulkar really first time, I think, showed his, you know, one-day class, you know, in such a... Uh, in, in such a hostile, you know, environment because you know, Sharjah became you know a very pro-Pakistan, you know, uh, environment which is fine. I'm not saying it in a negative way, but just everything in Sharjah used to be about Pakistan since that last ball six, and we were chasing, I believe, 256 or 257. Azhar was clean bowled by Akram Raza, and Tendulkar walked in, and I think that's a magical partnership. He scored, I think, 49 and almost took India to the cusp of a very famous win. We fell short by, as usual, five or six runs. But I think that's to me is one of his golden gems that really doesn't get talked about. Again, you know, in a career like his, there are a lot of innings uh, that would stand like uh, for many fans like myself who you know gone through the full metamorphosis forces of you know the Indian uh, fan against Pakistan. And uh, and the other thing I would like to point out is you rightly manage, you know I mentioned actually the and KF and some of those guys and I think it was easy for them because they, didn't, they had zero mental scar tissue against Pakistan, and that's why they were able to start beating them regularly. The less we played them, the for the new team, uh, to go through. And now, you know, as a fan, I, I like this matchup, but I'm not as excited about this match. India dominates and, uh, you know, and I, and I and I got my wins in the World Cup, you know, because India has such a... So, yeah, that, 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 those are my memories. You know, and, uh, and it's good to see India at the right end of things, but at the same time, I think Pakistan is heading in a very different direction.
1: Yeah, I think that, that's that's some really great nostalgia and memories revived there. Yeah, I think my, my first India-Pakistan memory, I think, was probably the 2003 World Cup. I mean, I I've, I've probably watched a few matches before that. I think 2000, there was a tri-series in Sharjah. There, there was an Asia Cup in 2000 as well. But I mean, I don't really remember those matches all that well. I think the 2003 World Cup, I think that, 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 that's something that really sticks in a memory because uh, Pakistan batted first and posted a formidable total on the board. Which was which and they posted to something like 270 odd, <coughs> which was quite a formidable total in ODI cricket back, back back in those days. And you had Sachin Tendulkar coming out, all guns blazing. He took the first strike against Wasim Akram <coughs> because he probably felt that wearing uh, uh, Vr- the might not be able to handle his tricks. And, and I think he had the I think the second ball that he faced Akram. Was a back foot punch before four, and, he, uh, and uh, he later on he later went on to say that you know that that was the moment that he realized that it was going to be his day, and he produced an absolute masterclass thing. 498 so missed out by two run, missed 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 a hundred by two runs, uh, and <clears throat> it wasn't until Virat Kohli in two thousand fifteen that India actually had a centurial. Um, Against Pakistan in a World Cup match, but that that, that innings from Tendulkar was that, that that's something that really sticks in your memory. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, the, and after that, I think India started playing Pakistan more regularly in bilateral series. I think bilateral ties resumed in 2004 when India went to Pakistan. Then Pakistan came came to India in 2005 once again. Uh, India went there in 2006, I think, and, and, and Pakistan. Came back to India in 2007. So that that was a four-year period where you, where you had India Pakistan playing each other a, a, every single year, home and away, uh, and obviously un, uh, unfortunately there haven't been any uh, any bilateral fixtures for 11 years since. There was a small bilateral series in 2012. Um, that was just a three-match series. That's not really something that you know, that that you'll remember in, in in years time. I think I think the best kind of. The memories are generally when when you have a test series and an ODI series, uh, and, and those are the kind of long long tours that you know really stick in memory. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think the World Cup and the Asia Cup matches, I think those those are something that you tend to remember because they are you know, the multi multination nation tournaments as well. And and for all the Asia Cup history, I think it's I find it quite interesting that India and Pakistan have never met in the Asia Cup final, despite being the two Asian. Powerhouses. It's 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 been primarily been Sri Lanka, who've always been a very constant force in the uh, in the finals. It's always been Sri Lanka against either uh, India or Pakistan. Bangladesh have made one final. I think that was in 2012. Other than that, it's been Sri Lanka against one of these two, and we're currently one match away from getting that much-awaited India-Pakistan final uh, in in an Asia Cup, and that, that and that could be in the UAE, and that will be on a Friday. Where Pakistan generally generally tend to get the better of India, so I think that that will be a very interesting plot to look forward to. Should
0: that matchup yeah, transpire? But, uh, on that note, I think we covered plenty. And if that final does take like, take place, let's do another podcast maybe next week and talk about it. So thanks for joining, late where you are, and uh, yeah, let's do this uh, more often leading up to the big India Australia series that's uh, less than two months away now.